This show brought to you by Circle of Seven Productions, www.cosproductions.com. Please be sure to subscribe and welcome to our circle. Well, hello, everybody. This is Patricia W. Fisher with Readers Entertainment Radio, and it is the last Thursday of August. I can't even believe we're just racing through this year, but 2020 has been a very interesting, very interesting year, and a lot of things that we have seen um, have been obviously through imagery, through photography, through photography, through videography, um, all these things that bring us these images and, and tell us what's going on in the world, and even in places that we would never, ever visit uh, anytime soon or possibly in our entire lifetimes. And it's it's important to keep those visual that visual history intact. And a lot of us do this um, through now our phones, um, through lots of uh, picture taking through lots of history, but today, and so today the cool part about this is that I have brought a uh, I've got this really great photographer that's going to talk to us today, and his name is Andrew Darlow, and he is a photographer and author and digital image consultant. He has lectured and conducted seminars and workshops around the world at photo related conferences and for photo photography organizations, including the Advertising Photographers of America and the Center for Fine Art Photography. Um, the Arlie's Photo uh, Photo Festival and the International Center of Photography. He is an editor of Imaging Buffet, Buffet um, an online resource with news, reviews, interviews covering subjects of photography, printing, and the news media. His latest book is out. is called Focus and Filter. You can get it and look at all of his cool books on Amazon. He's got two really cool books there about taking pictures of your pets, which Yesterday was National Dog Day, so everyone had pictures of their pets up. And if you want to find him or talk to him, you can talk to him on his website, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, and I've got all those links in the write-up of the show. So welcome, Mr. Andrew Darlow. How are you today, sir? Oh, great. Thank you so much for having me, Patricia. Yeah. So we were. So I'm looking at all this, and you know, tell me how you got interested in becoming a professional photographer because we all grew up taking pictures and everything, but what was it about it that made you say, I want to do this for a living? I think the genesis of it all was when I was very young. My dad would take a lot of photographs using slide film, which uh-huh. uh, for your younger, <laughs> your younger <laughs> listeners, most people – took pictures on film, and then they would get them back, and you could hold them up to the sky, for example, and see what you had. And they came packaged in little squares that you could put into a slide projector. So you would have thousands and thousands of these photographs, and I was just fascinated by that. And then when I was about 12, we went on a school trip to Washington, D.C., and I had some kind of inexpensive but capable little camera and I remember coming back and looking at the photographs and just being amazed. So that was the real genesis which then led to me taking photographs and learning darkroom photography in high school and then Uh I worked for the school yearbook in college and that led to doing a a lot more at school uh, with photography, taking a class in photojournalism and then a big thing happened in my life and that was after high school, I was able to get a partial scholarship to live with a family in Japan. And wow. so this was like 
<laughs> an amazing opportunity to live with, with another family as like one of their kids. I was just 18 years old. And so I found a, a really nice film camera because that's really all there was in 1988. And I brought like 50 rolls of film. And uh -huh. when I got there, I started taking pictures of everything. Like every meal my homestay mother would make, I was there with my camera. And a lot of the people I met and our wonderful dog named Jiro, I photographed him all the time uh, when I was taking walks. And I think that was like the big point of me wanting to really do something with photography for a living or at least make it a big part of my life. And when I got back, I had like 50 rolls of film. I developed them. I made four by six prints, which were all the rage back then at the one yes. hour photo. Uh -huh. Right. And I put them into these photo albums. And when I showed them to people, I realized that whole statement about pictures being worth a thousand words. This was totally true because I could not explain what it was like in words of these pictures told the story for me. And it just showed me the power of photography. And that led to many more experiences. I was also able to live in Europe, and that was another way for me to take pictures. And then when I got back after college, I joined a company that was actually uh, related to my family. It was in the printing industry, and I was uh -huh. exposed to, for the first time, Adobe Photoshop, which, oh, I mean, that's okay. like, it's like a painter, you know, getting a canvas and paint for the first time. Mm -hmm. And so that that led to me learning that. And then I, uh, luckily, one of the salespeople there, someone contacted them to do a catalog with kids' products like bibs and rattles and things like that. So the company took their large conference room and turned it into a photo studio for about a week. And we rented okay. this amazing digital camera back. And then I saw the real magic of being able to set up still life imagery and take pictures and then see it go through the whole process through Photoshop and see the proofs being made and then the final product in the form of a catalog. And that just cemented my desire to then get involved. So I helped build a photo studio and I became a professional photographer. That was, that's there the There you go, yeah. Story. Well, and, you know, it's never just one thing with something like this because it's just like it builds and builds and builds. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of laughing about your talk about your dad taking all these pictures and they being slides because when my husband and I first got married, he decided he was going to go in and, and scan, digitally scan all of his dad's um, slides. And we were kind of in hysterics because it was like, and here's a tree. Well, where is it? We don't know, you know. And, of course, <laughs> it it's like faded and it's been sun exposed mm -hmm. and sitting in a closet. And so it's, it's but you're, but it's the same kind of thing is, is yes, the, the picture brings a thousand words, but maybe it's not the words that you initially wanted because, you know, it's been 50 years and we have no idea where this tree was from. Um, mm -hmm. But it's, but also that, and if any, anybody's listening and they know it, you know, you have the clunk, clunk of the slide going in and the coming out um, <clears throat> of the machine and all these different fun things. And you talking about the film. I mean, I, I was telling my kids about it. It's like, yeah, we used to 
have to carry the film and you buy the film and you have to take it in. And we didn't take as many pictures because obviously we couldn't see what we had taken pictures of and um, Mm -hmm. you had to get it developed. And that could be as expensive as buying the film. So it's, you had to, I said, you had to wait. Mm -hmm. (laughs) to wait and see what you've taken pictures of. Um, But now with the prolific picture taking that pictures, I mean, we have Instagram that's based on photography, basically, you know, it's out there and we see so many people taking pictures. And I mean, I see that it's a whole different, it's its own kind of storytelling. Mm -hmm. I mean, have you pulled that thread, you know, you've, you've, with your books, I mean, you've pulled that thread, so it's like, okay, yeah, you can take a picture with your camera, but here's how to take a really good picture. I mean, what's other than kind of the obvious of why it's good to take a really, really good picture? What is it about it that speaks to you? Well, I think the key is to first know what situation you're in. Like one of the things I love to do most is to explore around cities. So there are tips that mm-hmm. I could share when you explore around cities. But then the other thing I love to do is take pictures of pets and people mm-hmm. with their pets. So those tips are really easy because they're specific. And I can quickly share a few if you'd like. Yes, please. Yes. Because those Especially are the National ones National Dog that... Day yesterday. People are looking for those, <laughs> those tips because Cat Day will come up. And we know cats are completely uncooperative. So, yes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I think there was a... I'll paraphrase it. There was a pillow that one of my clients had, and it said, dogs come when they're called, and cats take a message and get back to you. That's right. <laughs> so, um, but I love photographing both of them. Well, I guess I'll start with one of my favorite, favorite things. And this doesn't really matter whether you have a smartphone or a fancy camera, and that is to shoot in both horizontal and vertical orientation. So don't just have your camera in that one position all the time. Just turn it and you might be amazed at the difference. That's the first thing that people can start doing uh, that they may not be. And then definitely, definitely, while you're there, try a few different focal lengths, whether that means you just take a few more steps toward your little uh-huh. fur ball, or, or you actually use the zoom that may be in your smartphone or in your camera. So while you're doing the horizontal and vertical, also consider different focal lengths uh, being closer or further away. And there's like a super tip in there. Now, dogs look great usually with all lenses and all focal lengths, but people you should be a little careful when you take photographs of people with these wide angle lenses and you get close to them because they start to look mm. like cartoon characters. Mm. So there's, there's something you can do. If you happen to have like an iPhone that has the two X lens or a- any smartphone that actually has a zoom that is more of like an optical zoom, meaning when you zoom in, it, the quality doesn't really go down a lot. Then. Okay. It makes, it makes a lot of sense to stand back a little bit and then zoom in, and people will look much more natural like they do on TV. Okay, okay. And I think, too, for, pay, for, for photography, um, don't you think people tend to not be as patient about taking the picture? It's all about just taking the picture. It depends, but yes, most people are, are not patient. They just <laughs> If you see people like your monuments, 
It's like, oh, we got, we got the shot, you know. They forgot to look at the monument. <laughs> they wanted to get the picture of them or maybe with a selfie stick or something. But they maybe didn't take time to read about the history of the place. So, yes, I agree. Yeah. So now that, I mean, so many people have phones, what is the benefit of getting a DSLR? Okay, there are a number of things that you can do with a DSLR that you can't do with a phone. But let's let's start with the main thing. Even though this okay. is, the gap is shrinking more and more each year, you still will generally be able to get a better, uh, sharper, and larger size image with a DSLR or mirrorless cameras. Those are the two main technologies that people use. So just the the actual image quality is generally better. So I'll start there. And the other thing is you can change the lenses, which is a a major advantage, even though there are accessory lenses that you can put onto smartphones. And some of them are excellent. If you look at Moment, M-O-M-E-N-T, that company has some amazing ones, but still it's not like a high quality telephoto lens, let's say. And if you're going to be taking photographs of birds close up, it's really hard to do that with a smartphone. Then you'll you'll want to to have a a DSLR or a mirrorless camera with a telephoto lens and what they call a fast lens, so that you can capture a lot of light. The other area would be like sports. If you're taking pictures of people inside uh, playing basketball, for example, that's a perfect example of where yeah. you may want a DSLR because you can set your ISO, which is like the sensitivity for when you take pictures, you can put it at a higher level, like 1600 or 3200. And you can then pair that with a good quality zoom lens that will allow you to get photographs that don't just look like a snowstorm of, of <laughs> just blur. You'll actually right. be able to get, you'll be able to capture that, that motion and the excitement of someone that's say going in for, for a layup or a dunk. So those are just a few. The other one would be like for landscape photography, when you want to put the camera on a tripod and you want to get like a 20-second exposure and you want to use the raw format. Now, all these things, in a way, you can do with smartphones, which is amazing, but it's still better in most cases with DSLRs and mirrorless cameras. Right. And, and if, if you're, and if anybody who's listening, uh, they were like their brain exploded with all of the um, information that Andrew gave you, it's in his book. So, uh, and he's got it really coolly set up. So, I mean, you've got, you talk about aperture and, you know, the, that's about the amount of light you let in. You've actually got like drawings and you've got, you know, this great, very easy to read stuff. You've got stuff to find. You've got pictures like here's the back of your camera if you have this camera and it's got this and you've got I I mean all these great things and one of the cool things I think that's in it in your book um is a checklist (laughs) it's Mm -hmm. like we Mm -hmm. all need this checklist um that just basically says what are you trying to actually photograph today because Mm -hmm. I I remember my mom going why did you take 35 pictures of this 
you know, I, we went to something the equivalent of SeaWorld, but it was down in Galveston when I was like mm-hmm. fifth grade. I think we took a class trip. And we're sitting way in the back, and I'm taking pictures. And what I'm seeing in my brain, and then I take my picture with my little, I think it was a, was it a 110 or Mm-hmm. I, I, Probably. But yeah, and um, and in my brain, I'm like, these pictures are going to be amazing. And really, all it is is like really far away. <laughs> it's guys feeding, I, mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. I think, feeding the seal. Um, but it's like we're talking about the patience of it. I want to make sure and take this, you know, what equipment you need and oh, how to read the scene and adjust the camera settings. All that stuff is in the book. And I think that if you need the visual cues, you also have YouTube videos set up that people can actually see you do different scene things and talk about the cameras. Correct? I, I have a couple YouTube videos, but like mainly my YouTube videos are reviews. So mm-hmm. that's really what my focus has been on. And also I have some on Lightroom. So that's really my focus on YouTube. But on the checklist, I included that because these cameras are basically computers and it's so complicated to to deal yeah. with them so i thought well let me make a checklist that i would want to use and p- people can photocopy it so that they have the the checklist they can fill it out and what it does is it enables them to put their main settings for a specific situation like most people have two main situations when they're photographing outside and then when mm-hmm. they may be inside like in a more studio-like environment, whether that's the official studio or their home studio. And you can write the different parts of the camera that you may want to adjust, and you can create a different checklist set for each one. And it's been really, really well received by people. That's one of the things a lot of people talk about, because I've never seen that in other books. And it just, for me, it's just a way that I could quickly say, okay, these are the set of things I need to adjust if I'm taking pictures of dogs outside versus inside with flash because it can be really complicated. And luckily, some cameras actually have a way to set presets so that Mm -hmm. you can then put, like once you fill out your checklist, you can put, oh, this is my number one preset. And then you just switch it to number one and all of those settings, let's say, without getting too complicated, the aperture priority and the focus is a certain way. And then for number two, that's when you're using flash. So that's why I thought it would be really helpful for people. And I also love, and I was kind of laughing at myself, because you have this tip in here. It's called mastering back button focus. And I was like, what's mm-hmm. a back button? Because I have <laughs> my, I've had my camera for years, and it's like, oh, that's what that button does. Um, and mm-hmm. That's always kind of fun. It's like reopening your gifts at Christmas, right? You get to find yeah. out more stuff about your camera. And, you know, I wanted to ask you, too, because you mentioned about, you know, the camera being a computer. And now, you know, you have the SD cards and you can store a lot of stuff. What do you think about the SD cards that are Wi-Fi? Like, how well do they have they work that you've seen? Are you a fan? Because I think sometimes people don't necessarily want to invest in the, the DSLRs because it's like, then I have to take the card out, and I've got to put it in the computer, and, I've, you know, this extra step. So, I mean, what is your take on that? Or what is your experience? Okay. In general, the ones, the actual SD cards that can send data via Wi-Fi, they have not had a very good track record. But yeah. 
more and more more and more cameras today have built-in Wi-Fi. So if you set it up properly, uh, you can both see a preview and get a small version on your phone uh, as you're taking right. pictures, and you can also use your phone as a remote control. Cool. We were talking yesterday about your books, and then I love the fact that you have the Pet Photography 101, and then you also have the one with Biscuit on the front. Can you tell me about Biscuit a little bit? Absolutely. That one is called <laughs> Biscuit for Your Thoughts. And this is a book, unlike my other books, where I've done nonfiction for over 10 years now. But this was an opportunity that came along from the same publisher who had approached me for my photo tips book called Focus and Filter. And right. kind of out, out of the blue, they said, oh, we saw your dog pictures. And we would love to do a book that has really nice dog photos. And then we'd like to pair them with philosophical thoughts that dogs might say. And I, I said, oh, well, that would be fantastic. So I sent them a whole bunch of photographs, maybe, I don't know, 100, 200. And they picked a whole bunch. And then they sent me a comp with these beautiful page designs with fonts in each one has its own character, and uh, they just seem to pair up perfectly. So I can only take credit for the photographs, um, but I was just so happy to have a hardcover coffee table book uh, showcasing my photography. Well, you know what's fun about, I mean, this is one of the things that's so much fun about photography, and then especially when you pull in these really fun little moments, because it's it's a conversation that you can have with anybody. You know, we all love, well, I say a lot more people than not love dogs or cats or, you know, bunnies or, you know, even children who are having a wonderful time running around in a superhero cape or in their parents' shoes. Those moments are so blissful that I, I think that to be part of a project like that, that you can kind of, kind of give someone some neutral conversation with your book. Yes. I mean, that's got to feel really good. Yes, and I've gotten so many great comments like, oh, I was having a really hard day, and then this book came you know, from Amazon or wherever they purchased it, and it just totally made my day. And uh, even more than that, I had uh, given one to my mother to give to a friend of hers, a neighbor, and she had gone through cancer uh, uh -huh. therapy and a very difficult time, and she wrote something to me that she allowed me to share. And it said something like, there were some days where I could hardly get my head off the pillow, but when I was able to uh, read Biscuit for Your Thoughts, it soothed my mind and brought a smile to my face, something like that. And I, I was so moved. And that really shows you the power of something like that when you put it together and, and it really mm -hmm. connects with people. So do you see yourself doing other projects like this? Yes. In fact, everybody's asking me, where's the cat book? <laughs> I know. I was going to say. <laughs> yes. So but the cats, cats that, are, have a very different philosophy on the world, for sure. That's true. And I don't have as many cat <laughs> photographs. So I would have to do some outreach and get more cat photographs. But that's something on my mind. Uh, I have plenty of other things that I'm working on. But re related to pets, I don't really have a specific project other than the cat book, which would be the perfect compliment. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So what has been in your experience who what which group is easier to photograph cats or dogs or does it depend on the animal? Well, 
I would say in general, it's dogs because usually there are these things called treats and yes. they are like magic. And <laughs> you can almost control a dog <laughs> with treats. And some of my favorite photography tips include treats. Um, one of them is you have the photographer and then the treat holder. And the photographer is standing from above looking down on the dog. And then the treat holder puts the treat uh, right over the lens. And usually you get the most amazing expressions if the dog's not, you know, jumping up and, and <laughs> getting too sure. close. But in general, Attacking that's a great camera, tip yeah. <laughs> that, I, that I share. And there's another great tip that is also like magic with dogs, and that is a squeaky toy. Okay. And it's like, it's like a remote control for dogs. I mean, it's so funny when you start to do the squeaky and then like often their heads will just tilt a little bit with the squeaky sound. And so I have some videos of that and I can almost always get great pictures. Now, it's a little difficult sometimes to hold the squeaky. So you often need someone maybe to help. And if you don't yeah. have a squeaky, here's, here's a super tip. You can either buy a, an app that has a bunch of sounds, including a squeaky, or you can just do a quick search on Google your favorite search engine for squeaky toy audio, and it works just the same. Huh. Okay. Good to know. Um, there's, I mean, there's just so many things out there that are just so cool about um, what you're talking about with dogs. And, and one of the things I think, and it's a little bit off topic, but there, it was a um, a video I watched not too long ago, and it talked about how dogs tend to read people better. They, the experiment they did, even like body cues, they, they mm -hmm. actually read better than um, primates. And um, so, and they would pick up the cues. So when you're talking about the treat, you know, I, it made me think mm -hmm. of uh, of that. And also that people tend to pick up the dog's noises better. So they had played all these different sounds the dogs had made and uh, for different in different situations. And people was like, oh, they sound sad or they sound, oh, somebody is walking away from them. And, and you know, they, that was the... Mm -hmm that was the situation or somebody just came home, you know, um, I find it really interesting. Mm -hmm. So seeing those wonderful moments like biscuit for your thoughts, um, you know, I'm sure that people tap into those wonderful memories and then you've captured these pictures along with those things. That's good. I mean, that's a good day, you know, that's, uh, yeah. having a fun project like that. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to capture the inner spirit of, of the mm -hmm. dog. Of course, I like to get sort of funny looking pictures, but I also would like people to be able to look at the photograph and say, oh, that's how I always picture my dog. I take so many pictures, sometimes three or 400. So to have that many images when, right. when you are going through them and you're trying to get just that signature look that the people really identify their dog with. Yeah. So what was the favorite? So you have your newest book. What was the favorite thing in this with your tips that you were talking about? Like, I cannot wait to tell people about this because people probably don't know this one. Okay. So for focus and filter, I would say my favorite tip, this is a little more advanced, but it's uh -huh. something called auto ISO. And okay. like I said earlier, these cameras are like computers. So we can't think of them like we thought of cameras 20 years ago. We have the power to set up, let's say, th there's two main ways that people take pictures with higher-end cameras. One is called aperture priority, the other is shutter priority. And the key is once you're in one of those modes, you can also set something called auto ISO. And what that does is you can essentially go inside a house and then go outside a house and you will still have 
perfectly good pictures without a lot of noise because the ISO or the sensitivity adjusts. And what that allows you to do as the sensitivity of the camera adjusts, let's say from 200 ISO to 1600 ISO, the camera adjusts it for you automatically. So what that means is even in lower light, it knows what to do and you can still get the type of look that you want without having to go in and change it yourself. That's the beauty of that particular somewhat advanced, but accessible on most of today's cameras. Right. And you just have to look in the little, um, you can read your book, or you can look mm-hmm. in the table of contents for the user's manual to find how to do that. Correct? Exactly. Or Google just look it. Up, just, yeah. Yeah, just look up uh, auto ISO. And here's the beauty. We have this thing called YouTube, which is unbelievable. You can generally put in the name of your exact camera and then put in the word auto ISO. And boom, you have this amazing resource for you. And I mean, I could go on and on, but here's also a a very creative thing that I love. It's uh, tip number 12. It's called Mastering Motion Photography with Still Plus Zoom. And what this Uh means is if you have a camera that has a zoom lens, you can put the camera on a tripod or you could even just try to hold it really still and then uh, it works especially well at night, let's say, with moving with cars and things like that, or monuments, like I have pictures here uh, with the Eiffel Tower. And you take a picture, and you, like, wait a second, and then you zoom during the exposure, like a one-second long exposure, and you oh, wow. get the most amazing images because everything looks like it's moving at 500 miles an hour. And mm-hmm. so that's one of my favorite things. And there's a number of tips in the book. And I tried to make these tips different from most other books. Some of these I've never seen in any other book. Like the next one after that was mastering motion photography with rocking or swinging. And the photograph Mm -hmm. I have is me on a hammock and there's uh, green trees above me. And I like pushed off with one leg. I put my, my foot back on the hammock and I put the camera on my chest and I did a long exposure. And it looks like the world is spiraling uh, around me, but I'm very sharp, but these trees are completely blurred in the motion of the hammock. So those kinds of things, once you learn a little bit about your camera, these are the things that can really set apart your photographs from from others. Do you feel like a lot of times people are are not really focusing on what they're really trying to grab. Like it's, I want all of this, you know, like it, let's say it's April in Washington, DC and you go to see the monuments, mm-hmm. but you want to have the cherry blossoms and the Jefferson Memorial and mm-hmm. the, you know, all this stuff all in one pick. Um, and then it's just kind of like, uh, you know, um, feel like people just need to step back for a second and say, okay, I can just capture these different ones separately versus all together. I mean, what do you think the, 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 the best way people can improve their photography when it's a situation like that? I think the best thing is to treat it like an assignment, like a, like as if you were in a class. And my suggestion is to shoot at multiple focal lengths, whether that means mm-hmm. wide, medium, and zoomed in just by using your camera's lens or by using your feet to go wide, medium, and then zoomed in, and then vertical and horizontal, like I had covered Mm -hmm. before. And so that alone will give you like six different photographs. And then I would experiment with adjusting the depth of field. So on most cameras, that means using a low f-stop number, like f2.8 or 4, if you have the, the ability to adjust that. And once you put all those things together, you may be very, very surprised. Even if you're forcing yourself at first to take 
all these different photographs, you really don't know until you get back and you look at them and say, oh, wow, I can't believe I actually took this photograph. Yeah. Yeah, I, we were looking through some stuff last night. My husband said, check this out, because there was a, a an article that was talking about all these photo bombs that people hit, so sometimes mm-hmm. people just don't see it, mm-hmm. um, which surprises me sometimes how people don't see stuff in the background. Um, but it just, I guess they focus so much on what's right there that they don't see it. But, mm-hmm. I mean, again, I think that's that's a paying attention issue, I guess. Yes, absolutely. It's just a matter of if you're, you know, more concerned about just, having a nice time, you may not really be focusing a lot on the photography, but in my case, I'm so, I love photography so much that I'm always trying to get a signature photograph. So it's, it's more about someone's interest in actually creating images that may end up on their wall. So it's all about whether it's important to or not. So um, do you offer any online classes for photography? I do. I have an online class and I think the best way to find it is I'll set up a special page for your listeners. And so okay. I'll, I'll, mention that, I'll mention that later, but that will have a link <laughs> to my class, which is actually, it goes along with my Focus and Filter book. And what I did is I sat down one day and I went through all 50 tips of my books. I made 50 videos and it was as if I was sitting there next to you highlighting what I think is the most important part of each chapter and then I give people a little bit of encouragement to go ahead and do the pro assignment because each one at the end has a pro assignment to kind of encourage people to take action. So I'll share that link uh, later. That would be wonderful. And you also are very gracious enough if someone goes to your website, which um, I will have the link up in the video, but you have offered the first 25 pages of a sample of your book for Focus and Filter. Um, You just fill out the little thing and you give the first 25 pages to them. Exactly. And I'll give even more than that on a special page. I'll mention it now, but it's going to be backup.fm forward slash PWF, which you may recognize as someone's initials. I do. <laughs> I mean, it's. I think a lot of times, you know, now we just, I, we just kind of take photography for granted because it's on their phones and it's everywhere, and, mm-hmm. and people are always taking it. But I mean, I, I'm always amazed at some of the incredible um, photography that's out there. Like you can grab those vivid pictures, and even I, I think too, a lot of us want. You know, we want the flower that's down here while we're looking at the Eiffel Tower that's in the back and can't focus mm-hmm. on both, you know. I mean, your brain doesn't anyway, and so, mm-hmm. but we think we can grab that shot. So it's it's great to see. I mean, one of the pictures you had was, um, it was like that. It was like a flower, and then I believe it was the Empire State Building in the back? Yes, yes. Yeah. That was on one of the tips that talked about depth of field. and um, Right. Actually, it's in the Mastering Aperture Priority tip, but it also shows how you adjust depth of field. So I'll bring it up here in front of me. Basically, on the left is a photograph taken at f2.8, and on the right is f13. And you can see a massive difference. So that just shows you what you can do just by changing one little setting on your camera once you learn a little bit about it. Yeah. And so when you download those 25 pages, this is on page eight, um, mm-hmm. just so you know, everybody out there listening. So <laughs> so tell me, what have you not photographed yet that you want to? Okay. Well, there's a lot of places that I would like to visit <laughs> that I haven't visited. China is one of them. 
So that uh-huh. that's on my list. I've been fortunate to to visit many places around the world, but China is certainly there, like the Great Wall, and there are many other places. Closer to home, there are also places in the United States, like out west, some of the national parks like Yosemite and some of the other uh, places that have red rock. So there are a number of things on my list and we'll see when, uh, when I tick the boxes. Yes. Yes. Start checking those boxes. One of the, and it's interesting too, when we went to the Grand Canyon a few years ago, um, I don't know if it was because it was the higher elevation and I was having some oxygen deprivation going up the stairs to get to see Mm -hmm. into the the Canyon, but it, it takes a second to adjust your eyes. Because it really, truly is like if you get this, these grandiose pictures, these beautiful pictures, it's almost like your brain is tricking you that it's just that good mm-hmm. uh, and that beautiful. Mm-hmm. And so when you're taking pictures like you do, I mean, you're, you're really giving so many people who may never get there that moment, you know, of being able to stand there and look at it. So thank you for sharing yeah. your craft. That's very cool. Oh, and there's a tip related to that. And that is yes. in today's world, especially with smartphones, a lot of mm-hmm. them have panorama. So definitely yeah. take advantage of that because once you do a panorama in a place like the Grand Canyon or so many other locations, it just changes the entire look and feel. And uh, you can do it also on many DSLRs and mirrorless cameras. Some of them even have an automated way to do it, which they call sweep panorama like a smartphone. But regardless... Okay. Give Panorama a try. You can also do it in multiple shots and then stitch them together later in software. But don't yes. forget about Panorama. So what is your favorite for, is it Adobe Photoshop? Is that your favorite for your digital, um, to, you know, putting things together and going back and fixing things? If I have to do retouching that I yeah. can't do in, in Adobe Lightroom Classic, then okay. yes, Photoshop. But Adobe Lightroom Classic is really my hub. That's where I bring everything into. That's where I organize things. I keyword them. I do as much retouching as I can there. And then if I have to go into Photoshop, often that's because I just cannot like fix a big area that may need sure. to be filled in for some reason, or I need to remove uh, a leash, which you can do to some extent in, in Lightroom, but for the most part, it's much easier to do that in Photoshop. Okay, okay. Let's talk briefly about if someone was trying to get started with this, would it be, and I guess this is also person dependent, but taking a class like you're talking about, like an online class reading, I would guess that they shouldn't like get $1,000 worth of lenses. I mean, start with your basic kit and then work from that, correct? Or would it depend well, everyone, on the person? Yes, everyone is different. So some people will want to invest in more expensive gear. It, that part it's hard for me to say, but what I can say is if you want to start in a very affordable way, let's say in the $300 range, I would go online and find a used but well cared for camera and then zoom lens and okay. maybe something in the 18 to 200 millimeter focal okay. length. So one of my favorite places is keh.com and I would sign up for their newsletter and often they have special offers that they send out. And for buying, they are one of the best. I I have quite a few items that I purchased for them. So that's a great way to find high quality digital SLRs or mirrorless cameras with interchangeable lenses. And you would Mm -hmm. buy each one usually separately. And you'd be surprised at how affordable it can be, especially if it's not full frame. Full frame just means the sensor on the back of the camera is the same size as 
the old school 35 millimeter slide. It's a pretty right. big, big area. But you can purchase a camera that has what's called a crop sensor. I would say something with like an APS-C if you just wanted to do a little search. There's a lot of Fuji cameras that are like that, that are outstanding. Uh, mm -hmm. Also, there's something called Micro Four Thirds, which is smaller. Those are also great. So without going too much into it, you do want to pay some attention to the sensor size that your camera has. But just do some research and imaging-resource.com is like an amazing place to look at uh, reviews and you can find their picks. Like it's, I think it's called Dave's Top Picks. And okay. regardless of which level of camera you want, Dave has a top 10. And some of them could be five or six years old, but it's just as valid because five or six years ago, cameras were still outstanding. So yes. those are just a few resources that, that I use and that I recommend. Do you still use film? Do you still use the darkroom? I have not in, I don't know how many years, probably 10 years. And so I just find that I can do everything I need to do using digital cameras. But there is a nostalgia and there are some things you cannot do unless you have film. Even though you can mm -hmm. create film by sending a digital file over to someone and they can actually create film for you. Let's say if you want to do these old processes like mm -hmm. Van Dyke Brown, Platinum Palladium, which I've done in the past, those you actually need a piece of film, whether you take it with a camera or whether you have it output for you. But I just haven't done it lately, but there are some, some things that just require film. Okay. Yeah, we watched um, Man from Uncle years ago, and there's a scene where he's and the, they're like, he's in the bathroom, he's not coming out. And he opens the door and he's got the red light and it's obvious he's in there developing the mm -hmm. film. And the kids were saying, what is he doing? <laughs> ah, yes, right. That's right. You don't know. <laughs> or, you know, yeah. the older movies that they are sm smuggling the film out, you know, because mm -hmm. um, they they have to smuggle it out. So uh, it, you know, we've taken that part away of all those spy thrillers, but, you know, I guess we just send it over the Internet now. Um. <laughs> exactly. That is true. That so is true. if someone wants to find you, they go, and I'm going to have all the links in the write-up of the show, but you are online, and then you're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and LinkedIn, correct? Right. I'll make it – yes, exactly. I'll make it really easy, and they can find all the links at backup.fm, which is my newest site where I okay. focus on helping people to back up, preserve, and not lose their precious photos, videos, and other data. So it's backup.fm forward slash PWF, as in Frank. PWF, okay. Backup.fm forward slash PWF. Okay, cool. And I will have that link in the write-up as well. So thank you so much right. for talking to us today. I really appreciate you and all your help. Well, thank you, Patricia. This is so much fun. And if you're looking for Andrew, he is online, like I said, at his website, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, the YouTube videos, LinkedIn. He's also got backup.fm forward slash PWF. And this is Patricia W. Fisher with Readers Entertainment Radio. So go out, take some amazing pictures, tag me, tag him, let us know how you're doing, and everyone keep on reading. This show brought to you by Circle of Seven Productions www.cosproductions.com Please be sure to subscribe and welcome to our circle.